Hi, my name is Caleb Palmstead, and I'm a member with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to welcome you and say thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe the church is not an event, but rather a, a family that you belong to. Uh, so we'd love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. If you want to learn more about the church, or if we can help you in any way, please visit the website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. Uh, we also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. Uh, you can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. It's good to be with everybody this morning. Uh, Restored Church, really quickly, congratulations on the first month through the New Testament in 90 days. Bravo. Uh, those of you guys that haven't tapped out yet, um, honestly, this has been such a rich experience for me personally. I know it's been rich for many of you. It's been really exciting for me to see, I don't know, just a lot of the feedback of the ways that you guys are encountering God through his word. Uh, there, are, there are men and women who their entire career is to study the Bible, okay? And they are scholarly and they are brilliant and they are academic um, and they may or may not yet be a Christian. <laughs> uh, so you can read God's word without it actually encountering him. This whole initiative of, of us going through the New Testament 90 days, the point is not just to read the Bible. The point is to encounter the one whose words we are actually engaging with. Does that make sense? So it's been so rad and so encouraging for me personally to see the many ways that many of you are encountering him. I know I am. Uh, if you haven't, if maybe you've taken a break or you haven't jumped in yet, I can't encourage you to join us. You can pick up anywhere. I promise it will be rich and a blessing to you. Uh, I just want to reiterate uh, what Herrick shared with you guys about Give Love on June 13th. This is huge for us as a church. We do not want to be just an insulated, kind of like inward-focused body of believers. Uh, that, would be, that would be a tragedy because there are billions, hear me say this, billions of people around the world who do not yet know the love of Jesus for them. Okay, India alone, just so you know. Do you anybody know off the hand, offhand? I do, but I want to know if you guys are familiar with like geography and stuff. And Do you know the, the population of India? 1.3 billion with a B. Think about that for a second. 1.3 billion people, all right? Just to give you some context, that's over four times the population of America. So think of four United States of America, one country, 1.3 billion people. 2% identify as a Christian. So 2% would say, I've experienced the gospel of Jesus, it's transformed me. Okay, 2%. <clears throat> now, that means that there are over 1 billion people who don't know Jesus. Like if they, were to, if they were to lose their life today, they'd have no hope for salvation. A billion, guys, that's so many people. Like I can't even describe it to you. There's only 7.6 billion people in the world. Yet 1.3 billion people in India over a billion, so there's, that don't know Jesus, massive need, right? Incredible opportunity for us to partner together for this gospel work of bringing, and here's the thing, like, you might be like, oh, what's, what's, one, what's one woman missionary gonna do? Way more than zero women or men missionaries. Like, way more, okay? <clears throat> and I know many of you, gospel, all of you gospel community leaders, you've met Maria. She is amazing. Love her, know her, trust her. She's been part of her store uptown for, year, for a while now. Like she's an incredible woman with a ton of faith, a ton of passion. She loves India. Like this is a really, really cool thing that God's doing. So I want to encourage you. Begin praying now about how God might have you contribute to honestly, eternal kingdom investments. People want to talk about investments and the ups and the downs and the, you know, all the things that go along with investing your money. How about investing something that will have an eternal return? an eternal implication. I'd love to see us, we've raised more than this before, but I'd love to see our church on the 13th of June raise $20,000 for India. Most of it's gonna go to, to, to Maria to fund her, what, what she needs. Um, and we're also gonna divvy up a little bit, a little bit of it just some, for some practical, tangible uh, needs that the people of India are desperate for right now. There's a lot of poverty. I don't have time to too much go into this, but I wanted to put that in front of you and just say like, pray about this and be excited about this because I'm confident God's gonna do something spectacular, something amazing. And the result is gonna be the population of heaven's gonna increase. 
Talk about the population of India. Talk about the population of planet. The population of heaven is going to increase. I promise you. Okay. All that being said, this morning, we are going to continue on in our series Reset, where we've been chatting through this idea of post-2020 and all the turmoil and all the disorientation. Are we going to be people who are going to devote ourselves to Jesus? This whole series of Reset is about renewing our devotion to Jesus and his ways. Okay? We've been asking ourselves this question, like, where do we go from here? In light of everything that we've been through, what are we going to devote ourselves to moving forward? We talked about prioritizing our two discipleship strategies, right? Gospel community, a people, not an event. Sunday worship gathering, this, this event that you're at right now. We've talked about um, <clears throat> the purpose of these two discipleship strategies. We've now gone to the second half of this series where we've started to unpack our six values last week. We talked about the gospel, the good, joyful news of who God is and what he's done through Jesus. And how the, how the gospel of Jesus, how Christianity in and of itself is not religious advice about what to do or what not to do. It's good news about what already has been done and how that affects everything. All right, we talked about how the gospel is not just our message, it's what motivates us. The, 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 the transforming power of the love and grace of God through who he is and what he's done, that actually changes why we do what we do. It's amazing. Uh, you've already heard it said this morning, we're going to talk about our second value, family. This is huge for us, okay? Now, if you spend any time reading the scriptures, especially the New Testament, you'll see that there are several metaphors for the church in the Bible, all right? Uh, you'll see, you'll read about the body. You've heard maybe they heard the body of Christ, right? The metaphor of many different parts, uniquely created, uniquely gifted, right? The body of Christ as the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet, all that stuff. Another metaphor, the bride, that, that, that literally this collection of people is the bride of Christ and Jesus is passionate about his bride, okay? The end of the story is the culmination, the consummation of God and his people in an eternal love that lasts forever, all right? You, you'll see the metaphor of the temple, that the church is the temple, right? We talked about this already a little bit. But the, the, the place where God's presence resides is now in his people. So that the church is the new temple. It's not a building. It's the new temple. In our hearts, the spirit lives. And you'll see in the New Testament, the metaphor of the, that the church is, the, is an army. An army of God's kingdom, right? Advancing against the kingdom of darkness. And the weapons that we engage in are, are prayer and worship and praise and obedience more of God's kingdom coming, his ways, his will, right? But as amazing as all those metaphors are, the most frequent metaphor that we see in the church by far is family. Family. Now, when you hear me say that, hear me say that you as a human being are going to have an internal reaction to that word family, either a positive reaction or a negative reaction, okay? For some... When you hear family, you're like, dude, family, those are like the people that I can rely on the most. My family is amazing. I can rely on these people. If all else fails, your family will be there for you. That's amazing. That's incredible. What a gift. What a blessing. Spectacular, right? For others of you, the flip side is true. Sadly and tragically and painfully, Family is the people that you cannot rely on for whatever reason. In some cases, your family are the people that have hurt you the most. Like the deepest wounds, the deepest scars, the things that hurt the most were at the hands of family. Your greatest source of pain. Now, I say that because every single one of us, we all have a unique experience with family. It's part of kind of what makes us, like our life experience has so much to do with our experience with family. And that experience, wouldn't you agree, it shapes us in so many ways. All of you parents in the room know exactly what I'm talking about when you, when you discover I'm speaking to my children in the same way that my mother or father spoke to me. And it's like our families, they shape us. Our experience with family has a huge impact on us. And that experience, the way that, it, that, that we engage with our family and the effect that it has on us like it determines whether family is a good thing or not so good thing. Whether, whether it's a necessary thing 
or it's something that we try to avoid at all costs. So I want to qualify this topic this morning because I'm keenly aware, guys, I'm a pastor. Like I have the privilege of being with people at the, frankly, the best moment of their life and the absolute worst moment of their life. And family is intertwined in all of it, okay? So on that spectrum, I want us to just qualify this topic because I know that there are many of you who have, have amazing families. And there are many of you who have a very painful relationship with your family. We're all in this together, okay? But I want you, before we move forward, to identify for yourself where you are on that spectrum. Is family a good thing? or not so good thing? Is family a necessary thing in your life or a thing that you avoid at all costs? Where do you fall on that spectrum? Because the New Testament, the New Testament says that more than anything, the church is a family. Not like a family. It is one. But what does that mean? And what does my experience, your experience, have to do with how we feel this out That's what we're going to talk about, okay? So go ahead, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's that's fine. The words are going to be up on the screen. You guys doing okay? You guys are really quiet this morning. Yeah, it feels like... I want to to fight against the temptation to like jump around and try to get your attention. I don't want your attention to be on me as much as I want your attention to be on God and his word. Okay, so I'm going to do my my best to not give into the temptation to perform for you, to get you to engage with me. I just want to invite you into what God's inviting you into this morning, which is learning more about the spectacular reality of what it looks like for you and I to live his way. Okay, Matthew chapter 12, stay with me. I'm going to pray before we jump in. And we'll have some fun, okay? Holy Spirit, we want to invite you more of your presence. Uh, I shouldn't say that. We want to ask for you to make us more aware of your presence this morning. You are so present always. And Lord, I'm just like so reminded this morning of your grace and your mercy for me and for so many of us. And I want to ask that you'd give us lenses to, to see this topic of family through your perspective Um, and that you give us faith to trust what you say, so much so that we would act accordingly. And Lord, would you use me this morning to bless and serve and honor um, everybody in the room? I really don't want to get in the way. It's like my greatest prayer of being able to stand in this space is like I really want to, I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to do because you're worthy of devotion and obedience and worship. So be with us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Point us to Jesus. We love you. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 46 through 50, okay? This is crazy what you're about to just read, or you're about to read, okay? Verse 46, while he, the he there is Jesus, while he was still speaking with the crowds, get the picture, crowds, okay? Jesus speaking, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Verse 48, he, Jesus, replied to the one who was speaking to him. Okay, get it, get the picture. He's in the crowd. He's teaching. Tons of people. Verse 48, Jesus replied to the one who was speaking to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. All right. There's a lot there, okay? I want to talk about three things this morning. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I want to talk about what we learn about family here, what we learn about the church, and what that means for us as restored Temecula. So what we learn about family, what we learn about the church, and what that means for us. Let's jump in here. What we learn about family you want to know something that every single one of us in the room has in common? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Sienna. You're with me. <clears throat> so it's me and Sienna versus the world this morning, okay? <clears throat> uh, but for real, one of the things that we all have in common is we all desire to be loved. Like, I don't care how introverted you are. I don't care how cool you are. Like, every single human being has this intrinsic, innate, deep desire to be loved. 
That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, okay? We all desire to be loved, but here's the thing. You cannot be loved unless you're known. We talk about this all the time. You cannot be loved unless you're known. Because if you're not known, it's a false, phony love. It's not a real love. If they don't know you, that's not the you that they love. You with me in this? Okay. We desire to have deep and meaningful, lasting relationships. We desire to be part of a family, friends. The deepest part of who we are, where we're known and where we're loved. Okay, I have a biological family just like you do. Uh, Many of them are in this room. My dad, Mark, is in the back. My brother, Mark, is in the back. My mother, Cindy, is, I think she's in kids. Uh, That's my biological family. The four of us, like I grew up and that's my, like my little biological family, right? I love them. Uh, my wife, Ebony, she's also serving in kids. My daughter, Amelia, and my daughter, Vivian, that's my, my family unit, okay? Me and Ebony got married, and now we've started a family of our own. This is my, this is my family, my, my biological family. And hear me, I'm so privileged, man. Like, I'm one of the people that goes like, ah, I have a great relationship with my biological family. Like, I love them. Like, we haven't had a perfect relationship. So I was a teenager at one time. Like, but there's a reality of like, I really am privileged in that regard. And I see that. I love my family. It's beautiful. As incredible as biological family is and can be in this passage that we just read, Jesus says that there's a family that transcends biology. In verse 49, Jesus says that those who do the will of his father in heaven are his true family. In other words, he says his disciples, the church, is his true family. So just hear me out. The church isn't like a family. It is a family. The church is a spiritual family where the people in that family relate to each other as brothers and sisters and relate to God as father. This is not new for the vast majority of you, but stay with me because this is huge. There's one thing, about, there's one thing to, to, have, to have head knowledge. It's another thing to actually have that head knowledge creep into your belief and how you live, okay? The church is a spiritual family. What Jesus is saying here, you need to understand something, would have been so shocking to the people he was talking to. Like, like massively shocking because listen, in the ancient world, there was no closer relationship than biological family. Like, it even trumped, get this, it even trumped husband and wife. Let me read you a quote from uh, Joseph Hellerman, who wrote a wonderful book called When the Church Was a Family. He says this, quote, For persons in Mediterranean antiquity, marriage took a back seat priority-wise to another more important family relationship the bond between blood brothers and sisters. Marriages were essentially contractual unions intended to strengthen the larger extended family through alliance building, like other clans, and the production of offspring. While marriage was important for those reasons, the closest same-generation family relationship was not the one between husband and wife. It was the bond between siblings, end quote. So Jesus, get the picture, he's telling an entire crowd of people whose closest relationships were with their biological family that there's an even greater family, a truer family than even biology. You get in the picture. Jesus loved to like teach in such a way that caused people to go like, like they can't even compute it. It's like so countercultural. Now, I don't want to pretend that all of you are like totally with me right now and totally agree with this. I'm confident just, you know, statistically in the room, you may hear this and disagree. But here's why what Jesus is saying is true. Because biology in and of itself is fallen. Let that sit for a second, okay? Biology in and of itself is fallen. When I talk talk about fallen, I'm talking about a result of sin. Okay, sin has entered the planet through Adam and Eve. All of us have participated. Now sin permeates. Sin is rejection of God and his ways, okay? It permeates everything. We all sin. We all act selfishly. That's the, 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 the epicenter of sin is selfishness, okay? We all act selfishly. The Bible uses the language when it's talking about sin of, 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 of walking in the flesh. And it contrasts that with walking in the spirit. 
So essentially being led by your flesh and being led by the spirit, being guided or directed by the flesh and being guided and directed by the spirit of God, who's in the process of renewing and redeeming all things. So walking the flesh versus walking in the spirit. So flesh, biblically speaking, is synonymous with sin because of the fall, right? So listen to me, our biology, everybody's biology is fallen. It's flesh. That's why you die, okay? Biology is fallen. It's flesh. It's sinful in nature. Are you tracking with me right now? Um, When I was a kid growing up, one of the things, one of the lessons that Pop taught me was all toys break, okay? So he would like, if he would ever get me a toy, he would take me to the store or whatever, and I'd get a toy, and he'd be like, hey, I want you to have so much fun with it. He wasn't like a buzzkill. He wasn't like, it's going to break. Like, it wasn't that kind of a thing. But it was very much like, hey, enjoy this. It's going to be great. One day, this toy will break. And he would do it just so that I wouldn't just fall apart. You know, I'm expecting, oh, he's introducing the concept that there is brokenness in the world and it's going to affect me, okay? All toys break. They can be broken. And if you ever play with a broken toy, it just doesn't work the same anymore. It's not, it's not the same. There's brokenness, right? It's a broken toy. Hear me. Our biology, our biology's default state, its nature is to do the will of the flesh, to sin. It's, it's, we're all broken. We're like broken toys. We're talking about brokenness in the church. I don't know about you. I don't function properly. I function contrary to the way that my maker created me to function. How do I know? Because I sin. I introduce brokenness. That, because of my brokenness, I'm now introducing other forms and fashions of sin into the world. And the same is true of you. We are broken. We don't function properly. Our biology is fallen. It's broken because of sin. But Jesus, he describes something different here. He describes a different family. In verse 50, he describes people, not who do do the will of the flesh, but what does it say? People who do the will of God. It's different. They obey him. When I says do the will, it's they, they obey God. So here, to really simplify things, okay? Biological family on its own, apart from Jesus, is made up of broken people, 100% of them, who seek to do the will of the flesh. Selfishness. And that, my friends, is why so many of our biological families aren't what we would want them to be. And we all contribute to it. You with me? Guys, can we just get real for a second? Just statistically in this room, many of you have experienced traumatic life-altering abuse at the hands of family. Like it's real. Some of you have been like abandoned by your family. He or she, they left. Or they behaved as though they did. Maybe they're there, but they're not, they're not there. Like you've experienced, many of you have experienced deep betrayal at the, at the hands of family. Your family's divided. There's, here's the thing. Biology alone cannot produce the kind of family relationships that deep down we all desire. Why? Because biology doesn't fix the brokenness. You hear me? So here's what happens oftentimes. When anybody experiences, when everybody to a certain degree experiences the brokenness of of simply just biological family, what happens is oftentimes people look to something other than biology for family, right? When biology lets us down, what do we do? We oftentimes we look to affinity. Do you know what affinity is? Affinity is like people who like the same things as us, people who do the same things as us, people who are similar to us. That's affinity. So we go from biology lets us down to one degree or another. So now we turn to affinity to find this deep, meaningful, lasting relationship with family. But ultimately, affinity presents us with the same problems that biology does. Because affinity, on its own, apart from the redemption of Jesus, still involves other broken people who seek to do the will of the flesh. Are you with me? 
which inevitably leads to division because sin always leads to destruction and division and brokenness, more brokenness. So all of us, we desire deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. We all desire true family, but our brokenness, our, our doing the will of the flesh, our sin, our selfishness, it keeps us from actually having it. So how do we get it? Every single one of you desire to be loved. Every single one of you desire deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. You desire family. It, it seemingly, is, it's, it's impossible to get. How do you get it? We all desire it, but how do we get true family? The Bible tells us the answer, man. God, through his word, classic God move, tells us the answer. And that is we need to address our brokenness. It's got to start there. We've got to address our brokenness. We need to be made new. Just like the toy that my dad buys me when it breaks, I, it needs to be made new for it to function properly. We need a new nature, one that is not set on doing the will of our sinful, selfish self, our flesh. Uh, the Apostle John, he writes about this in John chapter 1. He says this uh, in verses 12 and 13. Listen carefully. But to all, write down all, or underline all, who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of the will of God. Friends, John is describing that faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus, it results in a new birth. And being made new. You've heard born-again Christian. That's what we're talking about here. A new birth, uh, being made new. Believing the gospel results in a new nature where our default state becomes what Jesus talked about here in verse 50. What? Doing the will of God. I don't desire to do the will of the flesh as much as I did before and my desire to do God's will, his way, his rule, his reign. It increases instead of what it was before, the flesh, doing the will of the flesh. So here's my position. I've taken a long time building up to this. Here's my position. And I believe with all of my heart that this is what the Bible teaches. Faith and trust in Jesus is the only way to experience true family. Biology on its own cannot produce it. Affinity on its own cannot produce it. And listen, I want you to hear me say, like, Jesus doesn't condemn biological family, by the way. I don't want you to, he I don't want you to hear me like, like I'm making a case that, like biological family is like not good and it's bad. And it's like, no, biological family is amazing. It matters to God in massive ways. You remember the Ten Commandments? Do you remember what the, the fifth commandment is? Honor your father and your mother, Okay. Do you know what that, that's a commandment that comes before do not murder and do not steal. Okay, hear me. Jesus is not condemning biological family. God loves biological family. He's all about it. I don't know if you know this, but he chose essentially biology to redeem the world through. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, he elected them and said, you're gonna be, essentially be, you're gonna reflect what I'm like to the, to the, to the broken world around you. God, he loves biological family. He's not anti-biological family. Jesus is not condemning biological family. He's pointing people to a deeper connection, to a deeper family that's only available through the grace of God. Friends, he's pointing to family that's redeemed. You with me? Family that's the way God intends. Family that's the way that you're in my heart desires. And so I just want to say this, like, I know most of you in the room. Some of you have incredible families. Your biological families are amazing, okay? You've experienced the joy of family, some of you. And then some of you, even like without Jesus being at the center, you've, you've experienced the joys of family. And some of you even have the best of both worlds, where you have a wonderful biological family, and they're all disciples of Jesus, I don't think it gets much better than that, okay? It's fantastic. Praise God for that. That's the best case scenario, right? But that's not everybody's story. 
I've been thinking quite a bit about the last year um, and specifically like COVID and how things have shifted and moved. And I tend to try to think ahead as much as I can. My brain kind of goes there with things. Um, but I was thinking back, I'm just kind of like, what? Like we've lost, like COVID kind of took a lot of things away from us. Like think about it for a second. It, it, it's taken quite a bit away from us. I mean, for a long time, it took away person-to-person interaction, which I don't know if you know this, but human beings were designed to be in community, created to be in community. So that's been really hard. Took away human interaction for a while. All the kiddos, like them going to school in the traditional way that they're used to, that got taken away for a while. Now, something not near as important as those things, like yet still traumatic, COVID took away Costco samples. That was so irreverent. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But listen, like COVID took away Costco samples and that's silly and whatever. But like, have you been to Costco and they had like the plastic replica food out? They have the carts set up there. There's the, the plexiglass around everything and they have like a plastic simulation of what the food looks like. So it's like you can't, you obviously aren't going to eat the plastic, right? It's, it's not real food. And then they shifted from that. I don't know if you've seen this. Now, recently, fairly recently, they've brought the food out again. They brought the samples out again, but you can't have them. So they're there to go like, hey, we would normally give you a sample, but we're not going to give you a sample, but maybe, you know, whatever, here it is. COVID took away Costco samples. Why does Costco do the samples? Absolutely. Absolutely. They give you a taste because it will increase your desire for it and entice you to buy it. That's why they give you the samples. But listen, your desire is already in there or else the sample wouldn't be enticing. Your desire is already there. It's tasting the sample that fuels the desire that's already inside of you. Friends, hear me. God uses all sorts of things in your life with intentionality. All sorts of samples to get your attention. But his motive is different. His motive isn't to sell you something. His motive is to satisfy you because he's your father. If you're in Christ, he's your father. His motive isn't to sell you something. It's to satisfy you. So hear me. Even the best biological family is a taste. It's a sample of an even greater and truer family, the family of God. Your desire for family, it's already in there, okay? It's the sample that increases your desire. Same thing with marriage. Track with me, okay? Even the best marriage in the world is a taste. It's a sample of the intimacy and oneness available to us in Jesus. Your desire is already there. It's the sample that increases your desire for the real thing. Think about parenting. I love my daughters. I love them like so much, guys. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. It's a love that's like no other love, but it's a taste. It's a sample of the unconditional and unending fatherly love of God. When we taste the sample, it fuels the desire inside of us for the real thing, the truer thing. Friends, even the best biological family is a taste. It's a sample of a greater and truer family, the family of God. You were created for it. The desire is already in you. The truest type of family there is. Why? Because it's family that's redeemed. All right, that's my first point. My second point, I'm going to go way faster, okay? What we learn about the church. What we learn about the church. So listen, if the church is primarily a family, according to the Bible, okay, according to God and his word, if the church is primarily a family, that means there's some implications here. It can't just be conceptual, right? For starters, the church and therefore Christians are not a collection of isolated individuals. Let me give you another Joseph Hellerman quote here. He says this, quote, The New Testament picture of the church as a family flies in the face of our individualistic cultural orientation. 
God's intention is not to become the feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals who appropriate the Christian faith as yet another avenue towards personal enlightenment. Nor is the biblical Jesus to be conceived of, conceived of as some sort of spiritual mentor whom we can happily take from church to church or from marriage to marriage, fully assured that our personal savior will somehow bless and redeem our destructive relational choices every step of the way. Listen to this. This guy's throwing haymakers. You may be surprised to discover that the expression personal savior occurs nowhere in the pages of scripture. Our radical overemphasis on a personal relationship with God, get this, is an American, not a biblical theological construction, end quote. Listen, what Hellerman's saying is that the isolated Christian is not something we see in Scripture anywhere. Because there's no anonymity in Christianity. Because the Christian belongs to a family. Like, that's what it is. Now listen, of course the Christian has a personal relationship with God. Of course. Of course. But a Christian doesn't only have a personal relationship with God. The Christian has a communal relationship with God because a Christian belongs to a family. Now, you'll hear us say this all the time. You've probably already heard it this morning, okay? Like we've talked about it at length in this series. The church is not an event you attend. You're not at church. You don't go to church, okay? Language is super important here, guys. I know it's really hard, especially here in this valley, because it is such a cultural thing. You go to church. If you go to the Bible Belt, you go to church. You're defining church not as a family, but as an event, okay? Here's why language is so important. When we treat the church like an event that you attend, hear me, it inevitably becomes a product that we consume. And when the church becomes a product that you consume... It mutates the beauty of true family into entertainment. A couple hours of amusement on a Sunday. Or worse yet, you're not amused at all and you just want to get out of here and go to lunch. Listen, and when that happens, it's only a matter of time until the church essentially becomes a business. It's a slippery slope where pastors, they become managers and they become CEOs instead of shepherds and servants and you have a product, right? And then that product enters what? It enters a marketplace, right? And it competes with other businesses for market share. In this case, attendance at the event, right? And the church, listen to me, the blood-bought family of God becomes competitive and it becomes tribal in the same way that Apple competes with Microsoft local churches compete for market share. Does that sound familiar to anybody else in the room? Friends, listen to me. When the church is redefined as an event, it inevitably mutates into a business. It has to. Where where, where people become resources, pastors become managers, and Jesus becomes a product that we consume. Jesus isn't a product. Jesus is like the savior of the world. He's my only hope for salvation. He's your only hope for salvation. He's the lover of your soul. He's the lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. And his church is not a building. It's not an event. It's not a business. It's a family redeemed. You with me? Yes, the church plans events, absolutely. Just like my family plans events, but the Logue family is not the event itself. The church is not the event itself, it's the family. Yes, the church gathers in buildings, we're doing it right now, right? Just like my family will gather in different dwellings in different buildings, but the Logue family is not the building itself. The church is not the building, it's the family. This is one that gets people hung up a lot. Yes, the church has a budget, a financial budget, absolutely. 
just like my family has a financial budget. Okay, that doesn't mean that the Logue family is a business because we have a budget. No. Because the, the priorities of a family are different than the priorities of a business. I'm not anti-business. I'm pro-business, man. One of the best ways that we can pursue renewal is through business. But the priorities of a family are different than the priorities of a business. A, priority, or a family prioritizes its values and relationship. A business prioritizes results. Rightfully so. Church is not an event. Church is not a building. Church is not a business. The church is the family. and It was purchased through the blood of Jesus. Spiritual family. All right, my final thing. I'm almost done here. What does it mean for us? If the church is a family, and we're going to value that as a church, what does that mean for us? Okay, what are the implications? It means it's going to significantly affect how we operate as individuals and collectively, okay? If the church is a family, it means we're going to prioritize like time together. <laughs> That's a big one, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. I'm reading out of the ESV here quickly. The writer says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, the day is like the second coming of Jesus. When all sin, Satan, sin, Satan, and death is defeated fully, he ushers in the renewal of all things completely. So listen, being together and being together regularly is important if the church is the family. You cannot have deep, meaningful, lasting relationship without spending time together. Okay? All right, next one. If the church is a family, it means we fight for unity. It means that when conflict gets introduced into a relationship, not, not if, it's going to because there's two sinners involved, right? When conflict gets in, introduced into a relationship, it means we fight for unity, man. When conflict arises, we handle it the way that Jesus instructs us to. He's very clear in his scriptures. It's been really awesome to watch our gospel communities. The more they journey together, the more they start to tick each other off. Because they, the masks come off and you start to see people and you're like, you start to bump into their sin a little bit and it's like, and you know what's the most amazing thing? It's heartbreaking because it happens. People just bounce. But you know what the most amazing thing is? Is when people go, no, actually the church is the family of God. I'm going to press in when there's conflict because I care more about the unity than I care about being right. And because I've received the grace of God on my life. So no, I'm looking for opportunities to extend that same grace and forgiveness because it's been so transformative to me. That's happening in our community, guys. It's been amazing. It's been lovely. I've watched it. We've sat in my living room with, with different conflict moments and you just watch the spirit of God move. And do you know what happens when a group of people who are at odds in conflict and then apply the gospel and actually believe it, they move closer together. And then you know what happens? They actually get deeper family. Same thing's true with some of your healthy biological families, right? We fight for unity. We don't attack. We don't withdraw. We prioritize the relationship. And we guard against gossip and division because what's at stake is the healthy family, right? All right. If the church is a family, we experience life together, okay? Experience life together, not just like kind of do it, we actually experience, we actually celebrate together. We actually mourn together. When was the last time you actually celebrated with somebody else? Not just attended the birthday party out of obligation or whatever. Like you actually at a heart level celebrated. When was the last time you actually mourned with someone? Like, not like, I don't want to think about it because I want something bad to happen to me. Block it, block it out. But like genuinely mourn with someone. Um, I'm looking at Brittany and like baby Beckett, like so many people praying for this sweet baby boy. Ups and downs and, you know, just so much of, a, of an experience for the Shives. They didn't go through that alone. And they didn't celebrate the goodness and the grace of God on display through that baby's life alone. Celebrating, actually. It was, you know, it was as encouraging to me as a healthy, safe 
you know, birth, birthday for baby and mom and all the things. What excited me just as much pastorally was how excited the community was for her and for the family and for the baby. Celebrating together, man. So much prayer, so much excitement, so much celebration. And that's one example in our family. Uh, a couple weeks ago-ish, we had our third birthday as a church, right? A bunch of you got up here and told testif- basically testimonies of what, how you've experienced God through his people this last year. It was remarkable. It was beautiful. It was so encouraging, so inspiring. It was a powerful time. Celebrated that together. Um, I'm super proud of the Greaves and the Latiris in our gospel community. They kind of led the way of having everybody within our gospel community do the same thing at our Lord's Supper gathering. It was phenomenal. Every single person in the room sharing about ways that they've tangibly experienced God and his love through each other. And we got to like experience those emotions. I'm like, oh, it's so amazing. That's so cool. Actually experiencing life, not just kind of doing it together. Gratitude, celebration. Many of you guys know Kevin and Tracy just got punched in the mouth this week. They lost two people in their family totally unexpectedly, totally tragically. It was awful. Tracy called me early in the morning and like, you know when somebody calls and you hear their voice immediately, like something awful happened. So I just like encouraged her the best I could and I got off the phone and I just cried because I love her and I love her family and I love Kevin. The book of Romans talks about you rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep. It's not an obligation, it's a privilege to be known and loved in family. It's what you're created for. My good friend Kylo got in a crazy car accident like two days ago. And he, like gnarly, like flipped upside, sorry, I didn't ask if I could share this. Car flipped upside down, it wasn't his fault. He got cut off on the freeway. And dude walked away from the accident. God's like hand is on this man's life. And as like traumatic as that is to learn about it and not know if he's okay and the whole thing, to hear that God like has protected him, he's sore. But I'm like, I get to celebrate, man. I get to be like, heck yeah, my bro's good. Thank you, Jesus. Because sometimes the call isn't that he's good. Sometimes the call is that he didn't make it. Sorry, guys. I'm like tender this week. There's a lot. You're created for more than just flying through life. You're created to experience it and not to experience it alone. Ups and down. All right. The next thing that it means, I'll move on. If the church is a family, it means we're honest and we're vulnerable. We're honest and we're vulnerable because you can't be loved unless you're known and you can't be known unless you're honest. The gateway, okay? We talked about this a bit last week. I don't want to hammer, I'm running out of time too, but the gospel is what frees us to actually be honest and vulnerable because you're just as in need of the saving of Jesus as I am. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Like we're all sinners desperately in need of a savior. And the good news of the gospel is that we have one and it's God himself. So if that's the case, if we really believe that, it squashes pride. All of us are humble. When someone confesses sin, we're not like, oh my God, did you just hear what they said? Like they struggle with sin in some really kind of scandalous ways. Everybody else in the room does. You just haven't heard about it yet. We all need saving. It means it's a humble community where we can be free to be honest and vulnerable with each other because we're not going to cast judgment on the other person because we're just as guilty apart from the grace of Jesus. Are you with me? See what it cultivates. It's beautiful. No one's better than anybody else. It's safe. The cross means all, it outed us. We're all a mess. And if we weren't, then Jesus died for nothing. Next one, if the church is a family, it means we practice the one another's. If you read the New Testament, there is everywhere, we've already read some today in these passages. Everywhere you look, seemingly, all these one another's, how to treat one another. Let me just read you a list here quick. You guys don't need to put the, the passages up there. I'm just going to fire through them. Uh, Mark uh, 9.50, be at peace with one another. Galatians 5.26, don't envy one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Listen, these are commands really quickly, but they're motivated. our motivation for doing them is because of the grace of God, not to just do stuff. Okay, God has a plan here. Uh, James chapter five, verse 16, confess sins to one another. 
Galatians 5, chapter, uh, yeah, Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Philippians 2, 3, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Ephesians 4, 25, speak truth to one another. Colossians 3, 9, don't lie to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, encourage and build up one another. That's one of my favorites. James 5, 16, pray for one another. 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. And the list could go on and on and on and on. We practice these things. In the same way, if you're on a sports team, you go to practice and you train and you get better at your jump shot or your slap shot or your, what is it called when you kick a goal? I don't know, I play soccer. Uh, Justin, where are you? (laughs) Uh, But you train, you practice, and you get better over time at the one another's. And let me just say this really quickly. I just want to affirm you guys, especially those of you in gospel community, you do this. You actually do it. You actually care for one another and hospitable to one another and pray for one another and speak truth and confess sin and all these beautiful things. When somebody has a baby, you fill up the meal train. You guys help each other move. That's real love. It really is. If there's a financial emergency or there's a financial like, need, you pull together and you sacrificially and generously give. I, one of the things I've seen happen in my gospel community that I'm just, I love is this, you know, this, ad, this uh, instruction to, to, to pray for one another. I've loved seeing what happens in my gospel community. Someone will share a prayer request and you know what they do? They go, stop everything we're praying right now. Not like, oh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I'll be praying. I'll be praying. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's something way more powerful about right here, right now, I'm praying for you. (laughs) Jailbird. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna close with this. I'll call the band up, I'm almost done. You guys with me still? Yes? Great. All right, so here's the thing about family. It does not happen overnight. It takes time, okay? It takes time. It takes intentionality. It's wise to build trust with someone, right? It takes time. It takes intentionality. But listen to me. More than anything else, more than anything else, it takes individual people. That means you and I believing and receiving the gospel. Okay, because faith in Jesus is the only way to create true family. Biology alone can't do it. Affinity alone cannot do it. Only Jesus has the power to transform individualistic, selfish people into family. Only Jesus has the power to redeem. One more passage for you. In John chapter 17, I'm actually going to read out John 13, but in John 17, Jesus prays. You literally, it's like known as the high priestly prayer. We went through it in our John series. And literally the whole chapter is Jesus praying. It's remarkable. And Jesus prays for the people of God that they would be so powerfully united, so intimately, appropriately intimately, connected that the rest of the world would believe the gospel. That's Jesus' prayer. So hear me. The family of God is for your benefit, okay? It's for your blessing, but it's not just for you. John 13, verse 34 and 35. I think you guys should have this one. Listen to this. You've heard this before. I, Jesus, give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone, underline everyone, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So friends, the desire for true family is at the heart of every single person, not just us in the room, every single person. And listen, Do you know what happens when other people encounter the true family of God? 
when they encounter different types of people, different ages, different stages, different races, all united in deep, meaningful, and lasting relationships with each other. Do you know what happens when other people encounter the true family of God? They come face to face with the reality of the redeeming power of Jesus. In other words, they see Christ in the Christian. And if you see him, it's over. If you you catch just a glimpse of the lover of your soul, of your maker, who knows you and loves you despite all the brokenness, he just won your heart. There's nothing more beautiful than Jesus. So my friends, imagine with me what could happen. Imagine with me what could happen in your life and in the lives of others if family wasn't just something that we appreciated, but it was something that we valued. Like it really mattered. So much so that we actually lived as the family of God. Gets me excited. Gets me really excited. I got one life. I say this all the time. I got one. I want to love you the way I've been loved by Jesus and I want to experience love from you the way that you've experienced love from Jesus. That's family. That's what's available to us because of the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Will you stand with me if you're able? I want to pray for us. We're going we're gonna to respond. I feel like the Lord's highlighting wounds, kind of typical. I feel like he's highlighting wounds, ways that you've been hurt. And if you have a wound, there's usually a reaction. There's a pullback, you know? And I feel like the Spirit wants to address some of those wounds in us this morning at the hands of people close to us, maybe even our family. Because what it's doing is it's keeping us, it's, like, it's, like it's keeping us in bondage from extending trust Um, to others to experience true family. So Father, uh, I just want to ask for you to minister to us now as we respond to your grace and your goodness, this invitation into your eternal spiritual family. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, any wounds, any wounds that are causing people to pull back, to react, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to minister now. I feel like the Lord's highlighting uh, some of the ways that, that he's inviting some of you to experience deep and profound healing in some of these areas is to just share it. It doesn't have to be with the whole world. But to exercise trust in him by trusting a brother or a sister. This is what happened to me. This is how I feel. And I feel like the Spirit wants all of us to know that God is forever trustworthy and he's proven it. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. He's powerful his resurrection. He's passionate. His crucifixion. And his love for you is unwavering his life perfectly in our place. So Spirit, would you minister to us now as we press into you with praise? And would you make us be a people who actually value the church as the family of God? Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for adoption. Thank you for eternity with you. You're the prize, Jesus.
We love you. Amen. I'm going to close this out. I think, um, man, that was refreshing. Thank you, Tom. I feel like that was a good word for our church. Very custom fit for us in this place, in this time, with these people that we, we make up this church. And I want to pick up on Tom used the Costco sampler. And uh, my, I've just been there all morning ever since. And uh, one of the things I love about Jesus, I don't know if you've ever noticed, like, how does Jesus teach? Does he, like, crack open a textbook and just teach, like, point by point through? Like, he, he tells stories. He engages our imagination for a reason. Because what happens when our imaginations are engaged? The gap between what we know in our heads and what's true in our hearts closes. It's actually brain chemistry. I can't get into it, nor am I an expert on it, but that's what the experts tell me. If you really want to experience the power of the gospel, engage your imagination and let Jesus in. So I'm going to engage your imagination right now. Normally, I have a week to prepare something like this. I just did it in seven minutes. So here we go. I want you to engage your imagination right now. If it helps you to close your eyes, do that. If it feels weird, don't do it. It doesn't matter. I want you to imagine for a moment that the church is a family business, which is actually not far off. We're God's partners in this world, and we are a family business in a sense, but we're not a business in a sense of making profit. I can't get into it right now. We're his partners in the world. And I want you to imagine that our family business is a restaurant. Can you think about that? It's a restaurant. The gospel is the meal. The good news about Jesus, the person of Jesus is the meal. Jesus is the chef. And he has a bunch of, what are they called? Sous chefs? People in training? In the the kitchen, cooking stuff up. Good stuff. And there are hosts, there are servers, there are people who clean up. It's a full functioning restaurant. Imagine you're coming in for a meal. Which one of these describes you? Historically. And it's okay, no matter where you are, no matter what what you say, it's okay. Do you walk in as a food critic? Kind of critique. Yeah, you need to change this. You need to change that. This was okay, but this really needs work. A food critic. Or... Are you a connoisseur, like a food connoisseur, just like loves like checking out all the restaurants in town, kind of picking whatever you want from each one. I like this here. I like that here. A critic, connoisseur. Are you someone who's a contributor? Someone who's like, I'm here at the restaurant and I serve. I'm, I, I'm a host. I'm a server. I'm learning how to cook in the kitchen. But I, if I'm honest, no one really knows me. I'm just like a person who's here. Or are you a child in the family restaurant? An honest and vulnerable child. Someone who uses their gifts. So you're contributing, but you're not just contributing. You're actually receiving. You're actually known. People in the restaurant know you. They know what you're carrying. You're honest with the servers when they come around and ask you how you're doing. You tell them and you receive custom fit meal for you and you also go in the back and help and you also deliver meals and you're not too proud to pick up a, a broom and sweep or take a dirty diaper and throw it outside or whatever where are you at today I want you to know that if you're if you're honest with yourself and you're like I'm a critic or I'm a connoisseur where I contribute, but I don't, I don't really feel comfortable receiving anything. I want you to know, like, that's okay. Wherever you're at today is okay. We carry so much from our families, like Tom was talking about, that has shaped us. There's a reason why we critique. There's a reason why we try stuff out but are guarded. You make sense in light of your story. My question to you is, will you let Jesus rewrite your history so that you can be a part of of this family 
this family that has a purpose in the world. We have good news to give. We have food that we want to we want to eat and we want to we want to feed people with the bread of life. We want people to feast. Do you want that? And so I want to encourage you, Tom. The first thing he said when he was done is like wounds, and that's exactly. I looked at him and I was like, mm-hmm. We are a unique church that carries a unique wounds, especially at the hands of family and spiritual family too. So I just want to ask you, like, are you down to do the work that's required? We want to help you do that work. I believe God has called us to be a really safe place, a hospital for sinners to get well. It's okay if you need a season on the sidelines to heal. It's okay if you can't be the one right now serving. Will you humble yourself to receive in this season? Or if you're full, will you, will you give to help others experience the meal, the good, the food, the feast that Jesus is. He's a filet, a fillet. If you're in South Africa, filete. If you're in Puerto Rico, he's the meal. He's the, or if you're a vegetarian, a mush, you know, a delight, decadent mushroom, or whatever you do with whatever. You guys understand what I'm saying? Man, there's so much for us to enjoy of Jesus, to give and to receive, honest and vulnerable. Your child. I'm going to pray and close this out. But man, if you have questions or if stuff has come up today, come and find us. Come and find us because we want to minister to you. Tell your gospel community leader. If you can't talk today, like tell them. And let's talk. Let's sit down and work through stuff. Father, thank you that you love every person who comes into the restaurant, to your family restaurant. You died for the critic. You died for the connoisseur. You died for the person who contributes but is scared to receive. And you died for the humble child who is ready to give and receive. That's experienced how good the meal is. And is like, yep, whatever it takes, I want that. And I want to share that. Thank you that you died for every person. And there's one cross, the same size for everybody. No one's better, no one's worse. Help us as a church to humbly take the next step so that we might experience healing where there are wounds, so that we can enjoy the fullness of being a family that has a purpose in this world together, to bring good news, to enjoy good news for ourselves, and to bring good news to a hurting and lost world. The billions of people that don't know Jesus. We love you, and we thank you. And we thank you that one day you're going to make everything new, and everything will be well. And I pray that people would walk out with a sense of peace in their hearts, knowing Jesus is going to make everything new and well and right, and I want to join him in that today. And I can. No judgment, no condemnation, all mercy and grace, all invitation to experience him. We love you, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, we are done. Make sure that you're here next week. Andrew's going to preach on dependence. It's going to be wonderful. Go grab your kids, please. If you have kids, stay and hang out if you want to.